Hello, I'm Marsha. This is the Edinburgh Festival special, Marsha Meets. The idea is that rather than just doing a one-on-one like I usually do, I went up there, I spoke to a load of comedians all at the festival in order to give you a feel of what it's like there this year in case you can't go. Today you'll hear from this lot. Russell Kane, Rob Broderick and James Hancocks. We are a bandaman. Tom Allen. Dave Hill. Doc Brown. Gareth Richards. Nat Lertzema. Jarlath Regan. Patrick Monaghan. Sam Simmons. Rob Rouse. James Redmond. Dan Antopolsky. Pete Johansson. Maria Hudson. And Geraldine Coyne. We're, We're the Aspidistras. Keith Farnan. Uh, Jeffrey Leach. Jeff Leach. Jeff Leach. Jeff Leach. Ali Cook. Loretta Main. Carl Donnelly and... Brendan Burns. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. A bit later, you can hear a banderman doing the freestyle thing that they're so amazing at. Also, I get some, shall we say, interesting stories from the comedians. Another person topped it by saying, I was retarded. And as he was walking up, he started to take his clothes off. One girl had thrown up all over herself, and the two people either side of her. <laughs> First of all, though, in case you're not getting the chance to go up this August, I asked people to tell you how the festival's been this year. Actually, let's start with somebody who's never been before. Dave Hill, former star of this podcast, is a big noise in comedy in North America, but is in Edinburgh, or as he charmingly says it, Edinburgh, for the very first time. I asked him how it compares to the many other comedy festivals he's done. This festival is definitely way crazier and more intense than any festival I've ever seen ever or done in North America. The festivals, you know, you go, you do like a few nights at a festival four or five nights tops but here's like uh you know i think i'm scheduled something like almost 40 shows i think and then whatever else i get into while i'm here and um and it's exhausting and uh i've lost a lot of blood and i've cried a bit and uh but I'm having a lovely time. The festival pretty much does the same thing every year. Brendan Burns, on the other hand, is here for the 14th time. There's always some corporate input, then there's a scandal about it, there's much ado about nothing, and then something hysterical happens off the back of it. And people always think that the heart of this place is under threat, and it just isn't. And so this year it's been the Foster's Comedy God Award. They wanted to name a comedy god, all-time comedy god. And it was, it was a rather obvious, cynical attempt to get a very famous name attached to the award, which at the same time would have been good for the award. And then there was, you know, Stuart Lee sent them a long letter. He was quite outraged and put forward a very good argument why it was a bad thing. And then something really wonderful happened. He suggested an online campaign for people to vote for Frank Chickens, who they were nominated back in 1980-something. But some obscure Japanese, I think, sketch troupe and have them heard that they're probably going to win this thing and they're probably going to be right next to the Foster's comedy god of all time. I just think that's so beautiful. And you know what? It wouldn't have happened without the corporate input and without the outrage. And I think the heart of the fringe, they kind of need each other. And I mean, the greatest thing that could happen is they could come over now and just die on their ass. (laughs) I mean, that would be really funny. Or better yet, 
They come over, get a standing ovation as they walk on, and then get booed off. And knowing the Fringe, that wouldn't surprise me one iota if that happened either. It's got so much personality that nothing is a threat to it. Nothing. This festival has felt a lot more chilled out than previous festivals. Carl Donnelly. I don't know if that's because it's my second show, not my first, so there's less pressure, I think. Uh, But also, just in general, everyone's really chilled. Nobody's stressing too much. Everyone's just having a drink and a laugh every night, and it's been really fun so far. This year it feels great, and the weather's been great. It's been like summer in Edinburgh instead of raining, and so everyone's been out and enjoying themselves. Ali Cook. Uh, It feels slightly busier to me, and I think it is down to the weather. And the audiences have been really good as well. Sometimes you get a bit of the, come on, prove yourself type of crowd. And it just hasn't been like that at all. Everyone's been really up for it, so it's been great. Quite a lot of people mentioned the weather. I think not least because they're still haunted by 2008. Keith Farnham. It feels as busy as last year and much busier than the year before. The year before last, I think, was the Apocalypse Festival, where we just swam around the festival, even when we were in the venues, and just sort of made burbling noises rather than doing gigs because it was so wet last year was amazing and this year is pretty much the same because i think a lot of people are just staying at home and going to the festival so that's great do you know what i think people who didn't come up this year they're going to feel a bit missed out because it is it's mental there's just a real good buzz about this year this is patrick monaghan endlessly enthusiastic like a puppy in the best possible way because you think about it people have been moaning about the credit crunch going oh, it's going to be quiet because that we've had the world cup no one's going to come because everyone's gone to uh, south africa it's not it's mental i've never seen anything like it where it's just just as busy, there's a little buzz in the air, people are like going, we're rubbish at football, we've got no jobs, the government's cut all our jobs, we've got no money, but hey, come on, let's party. It's like the Titanic, you know, and we can see an iceberg and we've gone, bugger it, we've got some wine glasses, we're taking ice cubes. I love it. This seems to be a common theme. Rob from Abanda Man. This year's festival has been way busier than I thought it would be. People kind of said, oh, this year, the recession, the recession, you might not get anyone. But I think people have just been staying home and going to see fringe shows rather than going on holidays. So it's been really fun. Audiences have been really up for it as well, really interactive. We're at 9.45, so they've had their first pint of the night. So they're chatty but not that kind of like angry, I want to, you know, heckle. They're just, they're quite up for a giggle. Actually, that came up again and again. People seem to love the audiences this year. The festival is good. Sarah Bonetto. You never know with crowds whether they'll come or not come, but every show's been uh, full of friendly faces and nice types. And uh, it's better to have an audience that's half full of nice people than full of bastards. So I'm pretty pleased, yeah, it's good. Russell Kane has got a theory about why. People are less drunk in the shows, and I'm wondering if people are turning up to the venue, maybe having one or two pints. You know, it's a big difference to some people between six quid and ten quid. It's three pound a pint, so I'm definitely noticing people are more sober in the shows. Sam Simmons introduced a term I've never heard before. I reckon the fist at the moment sounds less, it's less angry. Last time I was up here, there was a lot more sconnings going. Is it called a sconning when you headbutt someone? I've got chinning. There are a lot more chinnings going on. But uh, this time it seems a lot more fun. The food's got worse, though. The food is worse. I've got no time for black pudding. It's horrible. Tastes like a... That's like bloody Christmas pudding. It's horrible. Horrible stuff. Yuck. This festival is overpriced. Loretta Main, a character creation of Pippa Evans, whose band are called Dog Vagina. Brilliant. Seems only to like the food. Overwetted by rain. It is depressing with the amount of people coming to see everything except my show. And seeing your own flyer in a puddle being trodden on. It's just a chaotic mess of desperation and attention-seeking. 
but you know, the hot dogs are good. This Edinburgh has been much busier than all my other Edinburgh experiences. Tom Allen. I seem to be doing more gigs and more things, loads of things going on, which is great. It's a festival which seems to keep getting bigger and bigger, which is ridiculous because it's already huge. It's one of those things as well where it's so intense that it can sometimes be overwhelming because you're doing a show every day and you're doing other gigs and you're constantly confronted with other people's posters so you can never escape. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's the most wonderful opportunity to be a part of. It's a wonderful feeling. Well, this festival is uh, bigger. Every year the festival gets bigger. Dan and Sapolsky. But this year, the biggest posters are now so big that not only do you look sort of teeny next to them, but I think they've actually bought up all the available wall space, so there isn't even room for anyone else's posters. So the city has reached some kind of saturation point with marketing where uh, there's no more brick to be seen. It's all covered in advertising. So I don't know where it can go from here. They're going to have to start sort of building out from the buildings, sort of uh, papier-mâché uh, sculptures of posters. There's also another problem with this expansion, aside from poster space, as explained by Pete Johansson. I think that there's a weird anomaly this year, and I think it's more busy for the larger venues and slightly slower for some of the smaller venues. With the addition of that 1,200-seat McEwen Hall and some really big sellout thousand-person shows, I think it's really pulled some numbers off of some of the much smaller places. And I think they're paying the price for the, you know, 1,200 seats for Jim, Jeffries, and John, Bishop, and Kevin, Bridges, and all those guys, you know? So all of that lot are stalwarts, such a horrible word, um, of, if not the fringe, then stand-up in general. But let's hear from some people doing solo shows for the first time. This is Jeff Leach. It's quite tiring. I mean, I'm not just doing one show. I'm doing two shows, one that I originally had set up. Then I started comparing a second show because someone dropped out. And then I've been doing, on average, three other shows a day for other people, open spots, comparing spots, etc. So it's worked out as five a day, and that's quite tiring. I mean, that's sort of five hours of comedy which over a working day I realise might not sound that much but when you're running from venue to venue you're putting all your all into every single performance it can work out quite a knackering experience because it's basically the Edinburgh Binge Festival most people spend most of their time drinking an awful lot in the evenings to kind of relax after their shows during the day and then waking up after a few hours sleep and then doing the same thing again wears you down after a while I think doing an hour every night Doc Brown it'll make you a better comedian in some ways but not in other ways because the one thing I'd never prepare for is people like paying to see you that's a totally different experience from the circuit but the other thing is you're never going to get this much stage time anywhere else like an hour a night for an entire month like if you can't improve just in terms of looking comfortable and feeling comfortable on stage then you're never going to improve you know so i think that's yeah it's definitely a positive thing in that respect i'm loving it james redmond is uh, you totally know if you saw him he was in hollyoaks and casualty but he's changing career he's starting to do stand-up now it's great for me i'm just starting out in comedy so i'm able to come up and, and learn from the pros um and watch lots of stuff it's like a crash course i'm doing three four shows a day you know, just five, ten minutes on other people's shows, just learning as an apprentice, a novice. I think there were lots of skills to learn. You know, you've got to learn um, to find your voice. You've got to learn writing skills, uh, performance skills, and just see what else is going on so you're not repeating stuff that's already been done and just learning from your heroes and discovering new heroes too, you know. And finally, a perfect sum up of how it is this year from another Fringe veteran, Rob Rouse. Relatively, I think annual turnover is up gross margins are down, net profit is roughly hovering at recent figures of the last 10 years, I'd suggest, Marcia. Atmosphere hovering around the same tremendous level, net joy up, and gross disappointment is down this year. 
think that's the uh, official summation of the festival thus far. Thank you, Rob Rouse. So now it's time for the weird stuff. Because they face so many of them in such a short space of time at the festival, I asked people if they had any stories about notable audience members. I kind of expected their answers to be about humans, but not all of them were. Pete Johansson. The second night I uh, did my show this year, it wasn't weird so much. It was nice. I had five ladies with sight difficulties in the front, but they brought five of the most adorable seeing eye dogs you've ever seen in your life. And while I'm doing my show, they'd roll on their backs and their tails would wag. And it is so distracting to do a show with five adorable Labradors on the stage, like taking all your attention away from you. And they're unimpressed with comedy. They are the hardest five dogs I've ever... I did a Korean bit at the end just to piss them. Russell Kane had it slightly worse. Once when I was on stage in uh, London, the pub dog ran on stage and sniffed my crutch when I was in the middle of a routine. And the gig was completely ruined because it was funnier than anything I could come up with. It's, I'm a large dog, obviously, you just freeze when a dog is that large. This massive dog came out and just shoved its nose straight into my balls. It was totally humiliating. Rob Rouse didn't have any animals in, but he did talk about them. This year, because there's a big story in my show about roadkill and me eating roadkill and getting carried away eating roadkill in the countryside. And a Welsh lady in the gig who put her hand up and we were sharing roadkill stories. And she said, when I was a young girl, we had a pet guinea fowl and uh, that died. And my neighbour, they baked it into a pie and we ate it. And that was kind of quite satisfying, really, kind of full circle of life, you know. And I said, that's a lovely story. I said, how did it die? And she paused and she said, a rock fell on its head. Sarah Bonetto probably can't complain about her thing because she did invite it. There's a bit in my show where I hold up a picture of myself wearing a snorkel mask. And if I have one rule in life, it is never, ever let anyone take a photo of you wearing a snorkel mask because it does crazy things to your face and eyes. It mushes them. Um, and I normally ask someone in the audience what they think it does to my eyes. And so far I've had, um, you look like a pig. I've had, they look like tadpoles. That was pretty insulting. And then it got worse. I had a lady say, you look Chinese, which got great laughs. I wasn't sure if that was very PC. But then another person topped it by saying I was retarded, which I thought, well, that's really definitely not PC. So, yeah, I, I say that nice people are coming to see my shows, but I think they certainly have a sense of humour. I was doing Late and Live, which is the Big Larry gig at the Gilded Balloon. Tom Allen. And somebody shouted out the heckle, 26. Just strange. And I said, what did you just say? He went, 26. And then, and then he qualified it by going, you're not 26. I said, yeah, I know I'm not, I'm 27. He said, 26. And then he went, you're bald. And I went, I know, was this peculiar? Accurate heckle, which are the worst to deal with. I'm not sure that's the worst. Jarleth Regan. My story about an audience member at the Edinburgh Fringe isn't actually about me. It's about somebody who will remain nameless, who basically was emceeing a show and a bunch of Glasgow heads were being really mean like really horrible, tell us a joke, hurry up, bring on the next act, and then started imitating this comedian while they were on stage, like doing their little tics, you know, whether it was A or M, doing that, like, while they were doing it. And they came off stage shaking at the end of it. I maintain that the venue should have just thrown these bricks out, but uh, instead they just allowed it to happen. The person was so sad afterwards, they were walking up the street this is no lie, walking up the street afterwards, shaking, having their first cigarette for the last two years, and the guys drove by in a cab, rolled down the window and booed them from the street. So uh, Edinburgh audiences are about as tough as it can get sometimes. 
But they're also the best you can get other times. Brutal. Nicer is Maria from the Aspidistra story. About 10 years ago, we actually did a musical up here together and there was a guy who used to come and watch the show every day and sit in the front and then afterwards he'd always come up to me and say the same thing. He'd go, you look just like Julia Richardson. And then he'd stare and then he wouldn't say anything else and I would awkwardly smile and thank him and walk away. And um, this year, 10 years later, I have seen him again. I was walking down the street with my boyfriend. He was sitting on a wall. He jumped up and rushed over and was like, don't I know you? And I said, uh, and I had this awkward situation where I thought, I think he's weird for remembering me 10 years ago, but the fact is I also remember him, so who's weirder in this situation? And I, I said, I, I think I recognize you. And he just stared at me for a little while until we had to silently part ways, still maintaining eye contact and both looking quite awkward. Nat Lertzima's audience members were even politer than that. I did a gig a few months ago in a freshers' week at a university where there was a little kerfuffle in the second row and I said, oh, everything all right? And they all looked up really obediently and went, everything is fine. And I found out afterwards that one girl had thrown up all over herself and the two people either side of her and they were all so polite, they just went eyes forward and said, no, 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 everything's fine, thank you. I think one of them even called me Miss. I felt really old. Because I I do magic and I always get different people out every night. Ali Cook. It is so random the people I end up getting <laughs> up on stage. One night there was two young actresses and they had the weirdest laughs ever and they sort of laughed like <laughs> like that on everything even on like a setup line they were just going <laughs> and I think everyone else was getting a bit pissed off with them but they were really really funny and I got one of them up for a trick and she was just hilarious. They were laughing as she was walking up on stage. So anything I did was just a bonus, really. I was in a show actually yesterday. Nat Lertzema again on what hecklers should not do. Five minutes in, a guy in the audience right behind me really wasn't enjoying it and started heckling and then said, I'm off. And the comedian was like, yeah, I think you should go. And this guy stormed out of the road to the side of the stage where he picked up a cardigan, put that on, buttoned that up, then he put on a fleece, zipped that up, then he put on an overcoat and did that up. And this time the audience were going, hurry up. I mean, we understand you're walking out. You don't need to make such a meal of it. And then he picked up an umbrella and a briefcase and a laptop. And it's just, it really put me in mind of like how hard it must be to like storm out if you live in the Arctic or something. Like, I am leaving you. And then just this whole kerfuffle. During my show, Patrick Monaghan. I've actually had someone actually coming on, running onto stage, not even being asked, just suddenly. And I don't mind people getting up. But, and as he was walking up, he started to take his clothes off and unbutton his shirt, throwing it on the floor and his back. And he just sort of walks through and walks to the back. And it's the most surrealist thing. And the audience look at me like as if this is part of my show. And I'm looking at the audience going, I've got nothing planned. This is nothing to do. I don't even know who this bloke is. It's not planned at all. And the bloke's just taking his clothes off and walking past me, smiling, and then vanishes, goes through my back, the back curtain. And we're all looking at each other going, OK. And what is actually even funnier is not to even mention, just to carry on, just go, anyway, so I was... <laughs> <laughs> and it's brilliant. I'm thinking, should I hire this bloke to do this every year? I remember doing a show once at the Pleasance upstairs. Rob Rouse again. There was no air conditioning, unlike my air conditioned venue, which is what I have now. Fully air conditioned at 8.30 in the underbelly. 8.30, underbelly air conditioned. It's great. Uh, and we had to leave the back door open and, and some tramp just wandered in and kind of joined in the show. But we hadn't really rehearsed the double act, so we did struggle for a while. Then I got him out and uh, thought I'd kind of paper it over the cracks. But people genuinely thought it was a plant. 
It's one of those annoying things when sometimes, you know, amazing things happen in comedy. Everyone goes, well, it's probably set up, isn't it? But yeah, that's kind of the joys of Edinburgh. You have to bounce your own gigs sometimes. OK, so for the final three stories, I want to do something a little bit different. A banda man, who you heard sound checking earlier, do this thing that, well, their act is basically them freestyle rapping about stuff on the spot, and they are amazing at it. So what I did was I got three stories, uh, told them to a banda man, and immediately, the moment I'd finished, they did a rap about the thing that I told. This might make more sense if I just play them. Okay, first is from Carl Donnelly. The weirdest audience members I've had so far was, <laughs> I did a bit of banter in the show, and it was a, what I thought was a couple at the front who turned out to be brother and sister, which made it a bit more awkward when I sort of asked them about being a couple. Then it turns out his wife had just left him, and that made it more awkward, and then it found out that her husband is recently deceased. And then, just when it was getting really awkward, and I was trying to make it back to light-hearted, the guy cut in and went, I'll tell you what will make it even worse, she's got disabled kids. So I relayed this to a banderman. Little disclaimer, I accidentally told them that the woman's husband was dead, not the guy's wife. Anyway, this is what they made of it. So instantly, I should add, that like the moment I finished telling them Carl's story, they launched into this. So first of all, it's time for stories from comedy. The first up we meet is Mr. Carl Donnelly. You know, man, his world is in a tussle. Decides he has these two folks are they a couple the words come back and the words spring quicker they're like no i'm sorry we brother and sister he's like okay well then spare a thought what's the story she says well i'm recently divorced and you know that he's worried inside of his head he's like what could go worse then he says wife's dead yes his wife's dead yes and it hasn't got like crazy skills she says my kids are disabled what the heck man this is gory i feel like carla's got yes the saddest story you know they're wondering exactly what's happening but it gets kind of weirder with the audience reaction bang next up was brendan burns i was doing my atypical anti-scottish rants because the scottish people love being abused i don't know why you can't be too polite to them because they'll just see through it they'll mistrust it unless you're rude about them then they won't really take to you but you have to be rude about them on a level that shows you've done your research and I was tearing into them and then these three lads, you know, in the second row were going, yeah, well, we beat you in the rugby. And I went, did you? Really? I'm sorry. I don't base my self-esteem upon the achievements of others. What I always say whenever anyone pulls out a sporting win, I genuinely don't care, but I've always got a stock put down because it loses a room. So I said, really? I don't base my self-esteem upon the achievements of others. I said, were you playing? And all three of them stood up and went, yes. <laughs> they were the Scottish rugby team and I was crushed and I just rolled around on the floor because the place went nuts. So here's a band of man again, the second I finished passing on the story. Now, now you see in the fringe, respect is earned. Second person in our tale is Mr. Brendan Burns, you know, right now, you know, man, he probably is the one guy doing his research on the Scottish. Don't you know, inside he really loves them, but knows they respect the fact if you insult them. They're like, okay, he's not humdrum, so he wants to get, like, the party atmosphere bumbling, so he jumps up. He's like, do himself a favour. Yeah, fuck Scottish. Well, Australia, can I say the effort should have done better? I'm sorry, that one from the cut can't be separate so you know then one like big man jumps up and says you know man scotland beat your team you know we come and lean you know i hope brendan that hurts your self-esteem he says stop this you need some knowledge you know me i'm not rocking with the scottish first of all i think you beating us that stuff is lovely but i don't get my self-esteem from teams for playing rugby you know what can i say yes it's not okay i mean it's not exactly like you dudes played and then what can i say brendan is stuck because three dudes big dudes they stand 
turned up and they're like, I'm sorry, but you know, son, you know, that us three, we probably are like the front row. They look and tall and they look and lean. They genuinely are from the Scottish rugby team. And the last one is another from Patrick Monaghan, as well as the adult show that he mentioned earlier. He does a kids show. You never think, you know, with kids, they're brilliant, they're beautiful, and they just, they're out there. The thing is with adults, if they're going to heckle or do something, adults go from A to B, whereas kids go from A to T via Z. And I was, like, every day I do my kids show and I do this thing where I talk to the audience and I give them a chance to get involved and I do this story thing. And this little kid just puts his hand up in the middle of this story thing and he goes, I said, yeah, what's up? And he goes, he goes, you can't put fingers in cats. And I went, okay. And all the parents are laughing and the kids are just like this. Like, they're all like, and I said, what? And he goes, you can't finger cats. I said, you can't finger cats. Okay, so can I just clarify for everyone in the room, please? You can't finger cats, you can't put your fingers in cats, you can't, and the whole room, everyone's just laughing at like adults. Kids are just giggling because it's silly, you know, putting your fingers in its mouth and its bum, whatever, anywhere like this, just putting a finger in a cat. And it's hilarious, and I'm thinking, I couldn't sit down and write that. You know, if you said to me, write it for you, you couldn't, but just kids are beautiful the way they come up. So here's what a band man did with that on the spot. Okay. Now, now with audience, does the problem end? You see, next third verse is Patrick Monaghan. You know that he's just sitting, kicking back, trying to sit, yo, doing like a kid's show. He's looking out and all of these children are listening and they are clapping and wolf whistling. When somebody interrupts his chat by saying, Patrick, you can't put your finger in a cat. He's looking at this like the kid is a rookie. Like, did he say you can't put your finger in a So anyway, you know, he just spares the thought. He looks around and sees all the parents are rolling. He's not too sure what to say, but they're into that. They're like chit and chat, but I can't finger a cat. And he's like, okay, you know, I can't read minds, but if I could, I would have never guessed you can't finger felines. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, what can I say? You can do better. You can't finger a cat's line by Andrew Lloyd Webber. You know, what can I say? I'm so into that. It was from the X-rated version of McCavity, the mystery cat. So I'm saying, man, this stuff is proper. We're gone like a phantom that's within an opera. You know, what can I say? Forget the world. We're in the bubble known up as Edinburgh. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes Marsha.com forward slash off the mic.